0: jump into what God has for us. We sang the song, I will follow you. And that's specifically what we're talking about is being uh, a follower of Jesus Christ this morning. So maybe you've been a long time follower of Jesus. And this is a series that helps you fine tune the edge that you're supposed to have as a follower of Jesus. Maybe you've never considered what it would mean to have a relationship with God and you're sort of checking God out and, and what it would maybe mean to know who Jesus is or be a follower of his and so I hope today is encouraging to you. I tell you what, we have uh, a lot of great words from Jesus himself in our scriptures. And some of the words are very encouraging and inspiring. And some of them are sort of tough love kind of words. And we're going to be looking at both of those today. We've been in this journey talking about uh, things that we need to be incorporating in. Do you remember what we talked about last week? All of you who are in rows this morning. What did we say last week? Circles are better than rows. I should have had you put that on the back of your comment card, and we would have graded that. Circles are better than rows, and uh, we had the blessing to have uh, some circles in our lives this week. Uh, one of those circles was this circle here. This is a semicircle, But we got some great friends of our family uh, here from Minnesota, Mike and Susan Weddle, and we vacation uh, together. What? They can't tell that, huh? And so, <laughs> and so Mike and Susan and uh, their two girls who are in college are not in that circle. That's in circle. But yes, we're at uh, Coronado there. It's always nice to go there isn't and pretend that you're rich. And so <laughs> you can just sort of be on the beach and there was some big expensive wedding going on where we that is in the background. But uh, we vacationed together at different times. They were part of a church earlier on in our life. Uh, We both went to the same college together, that kind of stuff. But um, friends are extremely important because friends not only encourage us, they also speak into our lives. And there's been different seasons, highs and lows through our life as friends that we've been able to circle up because you know what? Rows don't know. Circles do. When you're in circles, you get to know one another. You get to be there for one another. And that's why we encourage you to be in a circle, not just come and sit in a row. Now, I had another great circle I was a part of this week, and that was our rooted group. We had our first meeting next door in the student ministry building, so some of you are in there. Hey, here we go. We're excited. And uh, we're on a journey for 10 weeks. Circles are better than rows because rows don't know. I want to encourage you with this video to take the initiative to be in a life group, to be in a circle this week. And in our new Connect card, there's a place on the back that says, I am interested in a life group. I want to encourage you to mark that. We'll follow up with you. We'll help you get connected because circles are better than rows. And why do we do circles? Because Jesus did circles. He didn't come and try to announce to a mass of people, all right, everybody, gather over here. He didn't get the big microphone. Stand up in front of people on a street corner. Everybody, all right, come on. And now you all get in rows. And let me give you my great oratorical skills, and I'm going to preach. That wasn't Jesus, was it? Jesus went along the shoreline, grabbed some fishermen, grabbed a guy behind a tax collector booth, he clacked here, person here and there, and he got together a group of people. And then he said what? Strap on your backpack. We're going on a journey. And the journey was the journey of life. Can you comprehend this? All that Jesus is known for and all that Jesus did in three short years. He turned age 30. Up until that time, he was being faithful in a marketplace and working with carpentry skills he was faithful learning because if he was god come in the flesh all things such as this he had to have a learning process in that but jesus started his ministry when he was 30 and for three years he gathered people in circles yes he had the masses he had people sitting in rows it's both rows and circles but jesus was intimately engaged with each and every person And he was inviting them into a life journey. Jesus is the one who said, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. In other words, I've come that you can have a blast. But he also had some hard words. As we've looked at already in this series on called and committed. And he said, if you want to come after me, you must be willing to die. He who wants to save his life will lose it. But if you lose your life for me and my sake, you will find it. Can you picture those journey days? He didn't buy a minivan. He didn't have mass transit to travel from one place to another. He walked through towns, dusty roads, dirty feet, finding water at wells, and he taught. And he taught not just words up front like I'm sharing. He taught by modeling and an example. It has to be up close. What's the ultimate circle that God put in our world? The family. What's one of the things Satan's attacking the most in our world? The family. Because if he can blow up that circle, that circle of encouragement and accountability and tough love and championing and teaching and inspiring, then he's going to win some victories. But if we keep our circles close and tight, not nitchy and legalistic, but close to speaking to one of those lives, whether they're families or life groups or rooted groups or kids company or ASM like they circle up over there or Thursday night with their gospel groups, then there's life that can come in that because it's life on life transformation. And that's what Jesus did. And if you're interested in Jesus this morning and if you want to follow after him, then you're going to head out on a pathway and you're going to. Grab a backpack and, and you're going to head out not solo climbing. You're going to be with a team. Can you see Jesus picking his team to go on the journey? I try to picture that. I try to picture him sometimes. Hey, he gathers around. All right. Here's, here's what's up. This is what's going to happen. We're going to rock and change the world through you. If you go hiking, there's always what's called the trailhead. And some of you do hiking. I don't, even though I have my son's backpack on this morning. He does. But at a trailhead, you gather and you give instructions. And you say, this is going to be the path. These are some of the things that are going to happen. But along the trail, especially if it's multiple days of trekking, you're going to circle up around some fires. I think those are the most cool times. Though I don't do hiking and backpacking, I've had great times circling up around fires. And now it's finally getting chilly in this valley a little bit. Maybe we can have our fire pits going, right? And when you have that community speaking into one another's life, vitality comes about, meaning and depth. And why is that? Because you were wired, you were created to be relational. And the more you're isolated, the more... You're going to be, as we talked about last week, there's going to be deception. There's going to be discouragement. There's going to be double-mindedness. But when you're in relationship, you can have other people call out the deception. Other people encourage you when you're depressed or despondent or discouraged. And maybe you're wavering in decisions and someone's going to be able to speak into your life to help you not be so double-minded. There's richness. We are wired to be relational because God in his essence is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They live in a community together, three but yet one. And so you want to have life? Be fully alive in Christ and to his mission like we are at the awakening? Then you've got to be in relationships. And so we don't force relationships, even though we made you fill out your card this morning. We really do champion and encourage it. And it was Andy Stanley at North Point Church in, in Atlanta that phrased um, the thing, circles are better than rows. And this is our time this season to get in circles more than rows. But it's also our time to be with Jesus on this path and to really investigate more and more. What does it mean to be on the path of disciple making? What does it mean to be on the path of disciple making? And so this is where we've gone. The first week I said, you need to understand this. You are called by Jesus and you're called to Jesus. There's redemption. God can change a heart, forgive the sins. No matter what background you come from today, he can give you a new start if you'll let him take leadership in your life. And your identity then will become not marked by what the people at work think or don't think about you or what your friends think or don't think. Your identity will be because of what Jesus thinks about you. And then you will have the chance to have intimacy with Jesus. We've said that our identity should be one of not what we do for a living or where we're from or how many people in our family or what our aspirations are or how big our portfolio is or, you know, what kind of vehicle we drive. Our identity needs to be in relationship with Jesus as his disciple And so we are called to be a disciple of Jesus, even though we may be uniquely disguised as an engineer, as a teacher, as a social worker, as a banker, whatever it is. You are foremostly a disciple of Jesus Christ if you decide to put on the backpack and go on the journey with him because you are called by Jesus and you are called to Jesus. Redemption, identity and intimacy are embedded there. I had another circle that I was a part of this week, and our life group started up on Tuesday night in our home. And we were sitting around in a circle, and we were discussing uh, this identity issue of being a disciple. And I asked the question, what comes uh, to people's minds when they hear the word disciple? It was some interesting responses. We just started to engage in that a little bit. But one of the prominent thoughts was a disciple is not a term. That's really endearing to people, but it's sort of scary to people because it means like you're serious and there's this real hard commitment and, you know, you're going to like lose your life or something That, that disciple is not an easy term to want to be identified with. Because I asked the question, how many of you would walk in to your place, workplace and or introduce yourself to somebody and say, I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. You might say, I'm a Christian at a certain moment, but to say I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ is a little bit of a step back. Like, oh, whoa, whoa. oh you're one of those religious nuts, aren't you? A disciple. Because we don't have a good definition, understanding of the term disciple, but disciple meant follower, someone who was sitting underneath an individual and learning and growing, that kind of thing. But the disciple aspect of today, I want to just sort of elevate our understanding as a church family and encourage you. To be picked as a disciple of a prominent rabbi in the day of the first century of Jesus was a huge deal. You're a disciple of fill in the blank of that prestigious person? For us, we don't seek out some rabbi or some mentor. We're lucky to get a mentor. It's sort of nice if we have somebody to give us influence and interact with on a one-on-one basis. But a disciple is not a term that has any... Reference point today very well. But I was thinking like, how do we get this across? That it's the idea that you're called by Jesus, you're called to Jesus. This is a really cool thing. If I pause right now and I ask you, who do you get starstruck by in life? You might mention a, a Hollywood actor, you might mention a, an athlete, you might mention a musician. I won't embarrass you by having you shout that out this morning. But, you get stars. right. What if I told you you could be the best friend of that person? You could hang with them. You could you know, go on journeys with them, and, and, and you could you know, have fun. You could eat. You could you know, you just powwow around. That would be pretty cool, right? At least you'd think until you maybe got to know them. And you go, oh, they're not what I thought they were. I don't know. But the idea that you got called by Jesus, and you're picked by Jesus, and you're called to him is a huge deal. Because Jesus is alive. He rose from the dead. He ascended to the heavens. He sent his spirit back in here. His spirit's in this room. His spirit's in those of you who live and follow. And Jesus has picked you to follow him, if you will. And that's an incredible thing. It's incredible to be a, a disciple of Jesus. Is that an endearing term? I hope that it is. Because there's no greater adventure than being a disciple of Jesus. You're called by Jesus and you're called to Jesus, irrespective of qualification and background. I had a phone call this week from my brother and um, his uh, son, uh, his great son, in uh, good heart for God and those kinds of things, moved to another city, new job and And he and his uh, new wife found a church. I'm excited for them to find a church. It's sort of a church plant that just sort of got started. But my brother was concerned that the church maybe leaned towards a certain point of doctrine that he had some concern with. And so we had a fairly lengthy conversation on this. And the point of doctrine that he had a concern about was the doctrine of election. Do you know what that doctrine is? Maybe some of you come out of more Calvinist kind of backgrounds, that kind of thing. And if you take it to the extreme, the doctrine says that God foreknows everybody who's going to be saved and redeemed. And there is a certain group of people who are the elect people. And if you're not a part of the elect people, you don't get into heaven. Now, I don't know about you. Maybe you have some strong persuasions on that end. We got people in all different kinds of sort of th- some theological perspectives in this body, which is I think is cool. But I have a really, really hard time with that doctrine. Why? Jesus came so that all might be saved. And it's hard for me to say, okay, Jesus is gonna stand there at the door as everybody walks in. Some of you knew, maybe some of you have been around a while. So it's like, okay, you're in. Yeah, you can go in here and sing those songs, but you're, not, you're never going to get to heaven. I didn't pick you. Maybe they work in the new baby unit of a hospital. Oh, beautiful little baby. That baby's not picked. Okay, next baby. Oh, twins. Great. That one's in. That one's not in. I'm sorry. That's crass and hard. I have a hard time with the election. And we get in our little theological boxes sometime, and they all looked a little pretty. But Jesus picked everyone. In his foreknowledge, he predestined that all would be saved. Not all will be saved because we each have a will and a volitional choice whether we choose to follow Jesus or not. Some of you are wrestling with that decision in your life right now. Is God in the picture or is God not in the picture? But I want to let you know, Jesus comes your way. He looks in your eyes as he did James and John and Nathaniel and Philip. And he says, come and see, come follow me from now on. You can be fishers of men. Yes, come and die, but you will have life. And he extends his call to everyone. And so I live my life and I serve in the ministry capacity I serve in, hoping and wishing and champing and praying and encouraging and parting God's word and said, Jesus says, come follow him. You are called by Jesus and you are called to Jesus I've listed this. The Christian life is not based on a decision you made, but on an invitation he gave. I discussed this one with my brother, actually, and I said, you know, it's this understanding that it's not about us making some decision. Yes, a decision is part of us being a follower of Jesus Christ. You have to decide, but it doesn't start there. It starts with the invitation, and the invitation is to all. John fifteen sixteen. You did not choose me, Jesus said, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. In John 6:44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them and I will raise them up at the last day. Where does that talk about? Where is this whole disciple making, discipleship, disciple follower thing start with? In the heart and the bosom of God through his son, Jesus Christ. And I get up every morning with inspiration in my heart, even if I'm tired and weary and things aren't going well in the domestic world or, you know, the vocational world of life. Because I know I've been picked by Jesus and I've been called to Jesus. And every new day is a new day with him. His forgiveness washes my sin away. And I say, okay, I'm following you. But the invitation started with him. We look then at the aspect of obedience that there's truth and we have to place our faith in truth and walk obediently with him and that's a part of our worship. So once you put the backpack on, once we start heading up the trail, we are going to come to places where we have to obey and the word of God is pretty clear. There's some people that say, "Well, the word of God's a little little gray in some areas." I'm really not worried about the gray areas. It's the clear areas that I need to stay obedient with. And let's start right there. But obedience. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, obedience. Lock it in. It's going to be there. And you have to understand what truth is, even if it's not good to the palate of contemporary culture. Jesus is the one who is the way and the truth and the life. And his word, he knows what's ultimately not because he's harsh and mean, but because he sees the big picture. He knows what's good ultimately. He is the one who speaks the truth. We learn the truth. We operate by faith into that truth, and we worship him through it. Last week then we talked about community and the need to be in circles, right? Circles are better than rows, and love and grace and encouragement is part of that. It was a corporate call to discipleship. It wasn't a solo call, and that's why we get involved and encourage one another in life. Do you want to be a follower of Jesus this morning? You're walking this path. This is what I want to highlight today. Well, actually, this I'm not highlighting today. I'm taking the whole month of October to highlight freedom. Healing, deliverance, empowerment, we're going to be talking about that. I'll just give you a heads up, you don't want to miss October. We're going to be talking about spiritual warfare and the freedom that God can bring. Because Jesus wanted his people set free from their bondages And he wanted his disciples to know how to set people free. So we're going to talk about spiritual warfare. You'll hear more about that later. But that is on this path of discipleship. This is what I want to talk about today. Not very long because it's sort of simple and straightforward. It's the word service. You are called by Jesus. You are called to Jesus. You are called to obey. You are called to community. You are called to freedom. And you are called to. To serve I put these three words with it: simplicity, generosity, and suffering can 't really drill down into them a lot today, but we'll try to unpack them a little bit matthew ten five says this: Jesus sent out the twelve apostles with these instructions don't go to the Gentiles to the Samaritans, but only to the people of israel god's lost sheep. that was how he staged his operation all right it started with the Jewish people, then he sent Samaritans then it was to the other parts of the world, to the Gentiles. But at this particular stage, after he would picked his 12 disciples to follow him, he said, I want you to go to the people of Israel, God's lost sheep, because they were expecting and looking for the Messiah, right? And then he said this, verse 7, Go and announce to them that the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom remains the reign and the rule of God. The reign and the rule of God is here. God is here through me. He would later articulate to them and let them know that he was God himself. The kingdom is near at hand. All right. It's right close to you. You can reach out. You can grab it. You can touch it. You can sit in a circle with the kingdom, the kingdom of God embedded in the reign of Jesus Christ. He says, go and announce to them the kingdom. So you need to go and preach. You need to go and speak. But then he said this in verse eight. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy and cast out demons. Give as freely as you have received. All right. How many want to go with me after church today? We're going to circle up, put our backpacks on. <clears throat> We're going to go heal the sick. We're going to go raise the dead. We're going to cure those who have leprosy or other kinds of diseases. That was a skin disease. And he says, and cast down demons. How many of you in? We're just going to take the backpack. And <laughs> I know. I can't. And somebody says, let's go. Let's do it, right? Do you think that was just for the elite group of those first 12? Or was that for all followers of him? We're going to be talking about more of this in October when we talk about bringing freedom to people because that's a lot of what's embedded in there. But what I want you to grasp here was that he sent them out to do something. He didn't put them in a classroom and say, when you get enough loaded lumber in your head, then, then, maybe, only if you get above a 3.5 GPA, then you will be able to go. He had no idea at what level necessarily accomplishment. that He says, this is what we're going to do. And he sent them out. He sent them out. Francis Chan, I mentioned last week, how he sort of left this large church and he's sort of now is, is doing some um, multiplication of more home church, organic environment. And he was speaking to uh, the people at Facebook in, in some type of meeting and interacting and sharing his heart and things that God had showed with him uh, to some of the employees there. And uh, he was articulating. He said, you know, when me and my wife, we had our first baby. That was a scary thing. You're at the hospital. Oh, how cute the little baby is! The baby's been taken care of, and then they send you home. They don't send instructions with you. You've not gone through any training, and you're in your house. He's articulating and say, "I've actually several kids now." And he goes, and you're like, "I'm trying to keep this thing alive, honey. How are we going to keep this thing alive?" Some of you are there right now, right? Some of you can recall that. I remember when I brought the band. How are we going to keep it alive? What are we going to do with it? Oh my God. You know, you know, it's crying now. What are we going to do? He says, the Francis he says, that's what we do in our life groups. He says, we just spend time studying the Bible and then we send people out to do ministry in the San Francisco area. And he says, we'll pick people that aren't necessarily what you might think leaders. He says, okay, here's a group of 12 people. You're the leader. Keep it alive. Oh, my gosh, what do we do? And that's exactly what the disciples did. Not only the 12, but then it says in Scripture that there were 72 sent out. And they're immediately going, what? 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 Jesus knew something. You will only learn and grow when you are serving his purposes tangibly in this world. You will. If you think you can become a great follower of Jesus with a bunch of book knowledge, you're wrong. If you think that uh, if you go to certain schools or you get around certain kinds, of, no, you get engaged in what he's doing. Proclaim truth and freedom and encouragement to people. Yes, yeah, some of that's calling us out for what our sin is because it leads to brokenness right but you are speaking hope to people and then you are ministering to their needs and maybe you're like i'm a little hesitant like can i really pray for someone who's sick sure you can pray for someone sick we pray for people that are sick we've seen people healed from sickness in this church because of prayer not because of the prayer or because of our faith but because jesus is the divine healer and he heals through our initiative because he sends us out but maybe it's just bringing encouragement and care and help and support to someone else So he sent him out. But if you're going to live a life of service, you've got to practice some simplicity in your life. You know why? Because you've got to have margin to be able to give to other people. And the adversary wants you to suck up your whole life consumed with your agenda, not the agenda of others. In Matthew 20, verse 20 through 28, you can read it. Jesus teaches about serving others. Um. It's the story of um, mother-in-law of uh, James and John, and there was this debate going on as to who would be the greatest in the kingdom. Can you imagine that kind of conversation? And um, there's two ways that you can fall when it comes to serving and being obedient. And one is to fall into this radical, ambitious kind of drive that causes you to be arrogant. And he came across disciples in that kind of category. He said this, though, then in Matthew twenty twenty six, whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is right on the heels of the debate with the people in that circle that are along the path. Maybe it was fitting, sitting around a fire pit. One nudging goes, Hey, hey, in the God's eternal kingdom, can my son sit at your right hand? What? What? You don't understand who Jesus is if you don't understand this truth right here. Jesus didn't come to be served. And to get all these accolades, he was crucified on a cross. Jesus came to be a servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve others and to give his life away as a ransom for many. Now, we admire this, don't we? That's why we follow Jesus. Like, wow, he gave up all he had in the heavens and came to live as a lowly man. He was spat upon and he was bruised and he was beaten and he died on a cross for the forgiveness of my sin. That's incredible. Our world hungers to see people who are humble and meek, who are not self-serving but serve others. And we as his followers, if we're on this path of discipleship, are to model that same kind of spirit. The other error is not one of ambition over ambition and arrogance. It's one of self-pity. And you can read about Jesus calling out the rich man in Luke eighteen, eighteen through 30. But after this all happens where Jesus says you need to go sell everything, doing this and that, and it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven because their focus is so much on their riches, Peter speaks up. Good old Peter. <laughs> Sitting around the campfire. That was a great thing you did today to that rich man. But we left our homes to follow you. We've lost everything to follow you, Jesus. Jesus comes back. You may have left family members. You may have left friends. You may have left country. Yes, you have left your homes to follow me. It's a costly discipleship. Yes, Jesus replied, he says, but I assure you that everyone who has given up houses or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will be repaid many times over in this life and will have eternal life in the world to come. Jesus just looks at him in the circle. Rows don't know, circles do. He's heard their heart. Peter's just fallen into some self-pity. He says, be encouraged, Peter. You may have lost a lot in this life concerning those things, but you'll gain so much more riches in this life and in the life to come. This is what it's about, Peter. Don't fall into arrogant ambition and don't fall into selfish pity. Jesus knows what he's doing when he calls you to be a disciple. How many of you are wrestling with a decision in your life to follow Jesus in some area because you're fearful? You're fearful. We're going to look at it in October some in the spiritual warfare series I was sharing the other day because I heard this. I thought it was so good. Um, a Christian leader is also involved in psychology a lot, involved in spiritual warfare stuff. He said 50% of people he has found in his years of ministry fear death. They live with the fear of death, fear of dying, and it paralyzes them. Satan seizes on fear. The only power he really has is the fear he gives you. Or that you seize in your own heart. But he says the other 50% of people never think about death. But you know what they think about? They have a fear. They have a fear of scarcity. Every day, we're not going to have enough. I'm not going to be significant enough. I'm not sure that that will happen in my life. And fear paralyzes you. The enemy uses fear. And Jesus sitting in the circle says, do not fear. I am with you, and you're going to have more in abundance than you ever dreamed. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality something with God to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in his appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. The last word up here is the word "suffering that I put with service, and it was reflected in that Philippians 2 passage about Jesus, if we were to reflect him. There is suffering that comes with being a disciple, and that's not necessarily a word that I was excited to share with you, but you need to know this, as Philippians 1:29 earlier says, "For it has been granted to you, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but to also suffer for him." In this journey there will be suffering. There will be physical suffering. Jesus encountered that. But the mental and emotional suffering is there, and there's also spiritual grief because of brokenness that you carry. I want to invite Steve Riley to come up and join me. Steve um, is a part of our church, but he's also um, assistant superintendent for... um, Grab that chair there, Steve, for the Christian Missionary Alliance in our district, which is Southern California and um, Arizona, I guess. New
1: Mexico.
0: Mexico. A few churches there Mexico, about 110 churches, right? About that. Christian Missionary Alliance. And um, Steve has a great job. You know what Steve gets to do? He gets to do many things. He's sort of a catch-all, I know, working with Bill Malick and stuff like that. But one of the things Steve does is he licenses people to be in vocational ministry and helps them through the ordination process, correct? Do get to be involved in that, yes. That's uh, one of your yeah. things. And he's also involved. We're going to talk about the second mission. Yeah. You sort of live in this world of people becoming sold-out disciples of Jesus, wrestling with callings, wrestling with obedience, wrestling with knowing how to serve, where to serve, all that kind of thing. Um, what is it you look for in a young lady or a young man who comes to you who says, I want to be in full-time vocational ministry? What do you look for related to the commitment issue of their relationship with Jesus?
1: Yeah. Well, we do want them to love Jesus, right? But it's a little bit more than that. We want to know, are they called by God? We're looking, has God really put a calling Mm. upon their life? We also look at their character. Mm. Find out, are they living out the Christian life? You know, what areas of their life are they truly uh, walking with Jesus or do they have needs of growth in? We look to see where has God gifted them. You know, God's given each one of us a gift, and and we look to see where Mm. God's gifted. We look to see, we look at lifestyle. Mm. And are they... You know, they may have a great scriptural knowledge, which we look for too, to see if they understand the scriptures and can handle and articulate the truths of the scriptures. But what's their lifestyle like? Mm. Are they really living it out? They they may have a great character. Mm. And, you know, nobody, everybody would think, oh, they're the greatest person. But they're not really doing anything mm. for the Lord. They're not really involved in their local church and living out uh, – they're they're calling.
0: So you so. may have somebody come to you and says, hey, I want to be a missionary someday, or I'd like to be a pastor or work in a church in a certain area. And one of your first questions is going to be, what are you doing now? Right?
1: That is going to be one of those questions <laughs> that's going to be big on the list, right?
0: Yeah. It's like, have yeah. you practiced a lifestyle of being a servant and following God? Yes, the character issues and falling hard after mm-hmm. him and obedience and those kinds of things. But on the trajectory of this disciple-making pathway, you're going to try to decide, you know, how long has this journey been, how significant it's been. And they don't need to necessarily be like long, long long-term believers, right? Jesus picked them, right? That's right. But you look at the heart and the discernment of where the heart's at and their desire to be a sold-out, called, and committed disciple of Jesus Christ. And are you willing to go into, you know, training and those kinds of things or home service, and that's all part of that kind of thing. It Uh, is.
1: one of the things that we do is we we do an initial licensing, and we might license somebody to work in the church. And then we put them through at least a two-year process of what we call the ordination or consecration track. Mm-hmm. And and we're evaluating not only their knowledge and understanding and so forth, but, but that calling and mm-hmm. character. And as the church body identify and say yes we we do see this person that's Mm -hmm. called we do see their character we under we understand by the things that they've been doing the giftedness Mm -hmm. that they have
0: I know you probably think of this sometimes when you're sitting with people who are interested in being in vocational ministry but I know I thought of it on the other side when I was looking to serve Jesus with my life and would he want me to serve him full-time vocationally I'm like well if Jesus was sitting are standing before me right now. He would look at me, and yes, I've been picked and called by him to be. But would he look at me if we was heading out for like a special, you know, special ops type of team or seals team, and go? He's ready. I'm picking Bowman to go with me on this one, right? And so I would think I'd a lot. I like the of way
1: he chose Peter. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, and then he fumbled, right? <laughs> but you know, Jesus is looking for a willingness of the heart to follow hard after, and to drop all. Peter was saying, you know, I've left a house. I'm, I'm willing to go, and it's a condition of the heart. Mm-hmm. I wanted Steve actually to come up next week, but he's gone next week, and I want to talk about. We're next week. We're taking this servant thing, and we're moving it to um the. I think there's a slide there, Joe, if you want to put it up there, that has a mission on it. So it has all the steps on it. But next week we're going to be um, looking at what it means to be called to mission. And called to mission, uh, witness, hope, multiplication, those kinds of things, this is where you specifically, I think, come into play with your heart for the mission work of the Christian Missionary Alliance and working with um, people being licensed, ordained, and, and missionaries and all that's involved. We're going to look at this next week, but in these rows and the people who aren't here that are in the rows next week and people in circles, is it possible for someone that's seated here to become a missionary with the Alliance?
1: What do you mean missionary?
0: Well, uh. <laughs> next week you can come.
1: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the reason I asked that question yes. is because... There are those who would be called to go out and, and evangelize and church plant, and they would be going across borders into a new culture, a new language, and God will call it like a Martin. Uh, Chaya who was here. that mm-hmm. we had here, uh, who I'll be with in a couple weeks. But uh, he has been specifically called to plant churches in hard-to-reach cultures. Mm-hmm. We have another young lady just down the road in, from San Diego, uh, from Existence Church, who went to work with the team that, that Martin had been on. Mm. She's not really there to plant churches. She has a business background. She's there to run, run the – make sure everything's done efficiently. And uh, she didn't think God was going to call her to be a missionary. Mm. But somehow God did. Mm. And uh, she began sensing that call. Her name is Beth. She began sensing the call. She grew up as a missionary kid, but uh, and she refused to go as a missionary, and then God began to work in her heart and begin to call her. Well, now she's got a, several years mm-hmm. down the road, and she's got a business background. She's doing very well in business. But God called her to be a part of the team over there so that team could really function mm-hmm. well.
0: But Jesus, he sends out the 12, he sends out the 72. He continues to send us out today. And there's a vision and a plan he has as he sends us out to serve. Sometimes it's at a local level, maybe in our own valley, maybe in your own neighborhood. Sometimes it's at a regional level, statewide, nationwide, some unique area of ministry, or even uh, a bivocational kind of aspect of ministry. Other times it's global across the pond, or wherever it may be, or cross cultures, those kinds of things. Um, we had lunch the other day, and one of the things historically for the Alliance that I've been a little bit concerned about sometimes, the Christian Missionary Alliance, they, we raise monies, we give to missions to be able to support our international workers. And there's sort of been a, there's a process you go through, but there's been a little bit of a, a long queue. What you were telling me the other day is the alliance is at a place where that queue is no longer a long queue, but there's a need. Well, well let me clarify.
1: Not all the time.
0: <laughs> if you're going
1: to be a church planter, you're going to have to have a certain amount of education. You're going to have to have a certain amount of training. Uh, and, if, and you're going to go through the process to make sure that, hey, we're going to support you, and it's going to be probably over $100,000 a year. that that you're not going to have to go out and raise support. We're going to make sure that you're gifted and called, your character and your lifestyle, it's all there. And there are some. It's going to be an extended amount of preparation time. Hmm. There are others, though, some vocational ministries or some ministries within vision where you could go out for six months to two years. And that's a little bit different. The preparation there isn't the same. Right. So there's, there's on-ramps into ministry in the Alliance where you can get on very quickly and go do ministry in a cross-cultural mm-hmm. setting. There are other ministries that, yeah, it does take some preparation, but it should. All right. You know, I mean, we don't want Kerry up here if he just, just because he thinks, you know, I want to be a pastor. No, he had to go through training, and, and he had to spend a lot of time studying.
0: You did, didn't you? No. I did. <laughs> and, and working I on this doctorate am. now. <laughs>
1: okay.
0: Well, I um, want to freshly reintroduce you to Steve in part because I'm praying that God, through the awakening, is going to call some people to be servants in a full time vocational capacity, whether globally, regionally, or locally. They're not any better then if you have a job and you're serving out of that job to reach people for Jesus, the ground's flat at the foot of the cross. I was always taught that growing up. But we should be praying that God sends out servants of a significant means in some of these places that are in great need. I'm going to ask Joe and the team to come. I have this final question, though, here, or maybe I guess you can give an invitation. We as a church in the area of servanthood and missions, Uh, are continuing to grow and to be challenged. I want um, you to invite people onto a new team. You're invited. (laughs) (laughs) Debbie and Tom Parnackian have helped um, champion well this idea of missions for us in some regards. But when I met with Steve the other day, I said, Steve, I think we need help as a body.